Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. I am excited about preaching this message from the third chapter of the book of Philippians, and I'd like for you to stand with me following what we've done the last two Sundays. I want us to read this third chapter. We're going to do it a little bit different today, okay? I'm going to read the first verse, then you're going to read the second verse, third, fourth, and so forth, okay? So as it comes to your verse to read, read loud and let's not only read, but let's listen to what the apostle is writing to us here and really uh, try and get a hold of the message of this third chapter. So I'll start. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, Concerning the law, a Pharisee. But what things were gained to me, those I have counted lost for Christ. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead... Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. (coughs) Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if In anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. 
whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Let's all read together this last verse. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Amen. This is the word of God. Anybody thankful for the word of God? Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You may be seated. Now, as we go through that chapter, I I really was resisting uh, preaching because there's just so many incredible points in that chapter where Paul is talking to us about how we should live our life. I know that we're in a series called Choose Joy, and, and joy is throughout this book. These four chapters are full of how we should live our life in, in, in joy, how we should rejoice. As a matter of fact, uh, probably the theme scripture for me of the whole chapter is found in uh, Philippians 4 and 4, where Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Amen. 16 different times he uses that word rejoice, but even though that is the theme that runs throughout the book, we also understand that there are six different things that Paul teaches us here just to help us become mature Christians. That, that, that was the purpose of this book. He's not writing a, a book to, um, a, a letter to correct them doctrinally. He's not writing a letter to co- correct them in, in some of their actions like other books that he wrote. This is truly a book where he is just encouraging a mature, strong church to become more mature, to follow after. And there's six incredible things that he unpacks in this passage of scripture uh, in this letter. And and, uh, in this chapter, the third chapter, it is over and over again talked about the righteousness depending on the cross. And and I think I'm going to come back later and maybe teach some more on that. But, But today we're going to really concentrate on this rejoice, this choosing joy and how it is taught to us here in the third chapter. Uh, We read Philippians 4 and 4, which has the word rejoice in it twice, and I I just want you to understand something about this uh, word rejoice. I think that it is repeated over and over again because the Spirit enabled joy that we have in our life. I'm not talking about joy because of something of this world. That's not really joy. That's happiness or that's contentment for a moment. Uh, I'm talking about the Spirit-enabled joy. And I think that it's important because it is a vital part of our growth, our stability. It's a vital part of our maturation on how God wants to bring us to the be the people that he wants us to be. And, and so I, I think as Paul is writing throughout this uh, book and he's talking about us rejoicing or having joy, it is really a command that is calling for a lifestyle, a lifestyle of joy. That's why we titled the series Choose Joy. It is the something that I choose. It is the life that I want 
to live. It's not a life or, or it's not an emotion that is just stirred up because something good happens to me. I, I, I hit all the green lights today. Oh man, I am happy. I, I, I got a, a, a something for Father's Day. Oh, that makes me happy. I, I'm not talking about those emotions of, that are stirred up just for a moment. I'm talking about something that is deep down in our heart and that is the confidence that God is in, in control of everything. Somebody say it with me. God is in control of everything. He is in control. And because he is in control, it is for my benefit. Amen. Does anybody believe that God is good? Does anybody believe that God is good all the time? So let's say it. God is good. And all the time, God is good. So we see this, and if this is the confidence that we have in our life, then no matter the circumstances that happen, we are going to have joy. And I personally believe that we're living in a world that drastically needs joy, desperately needs joy. And I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. So let's jump into chapter three here. And in that first verse, we read, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but, is for, but for you, it is safe. Now, the, the Living Bible, I like to read that translation. It says, whatever happens, dear friends, be glad in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you this, and it is good for you to hear it again and again. What, what, what is... What is Paul saying here? He's saying, I'm just going to keep saying this and I'm going to keep talking about it to you because this repetition is good for you. It's good for you to get it in your mind that I should live a life of rejoicing. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say rejoice in the Lord? It's just something that we should have in our mind. It's something that we should have over and over. And Paul is saying here, it doesn't get tedious for me to say it to you because I know how important it is. I know how important it is for you to rehearse that in your mind over and over again. We know that the main battlefield for our salvation and our walk with God is in our mind, correct? I mean, that's where the attacks come. That's where the thoughts come. That's where the thoughts lodge themselves that lead us away from God. And so it's so important as mature Christians and as people that are going to walk with God for us to just understand that sometimes it's those simple truths that are going to see us through the battles of our life. I, I know that when times get hard, we want we want something that's earth shattering, a, a new revelation. We want to search the scripture and, and we want to find some new nugget that will set our uh, feet strong and we'll say, look at this that God has given me. And, and believe me, I've grown up around people that always were looking for something new, always looking for a new revelation, always looking for a new doctrine, always looking for a new level of righteousness. When the truth is, sometimes those simple things repeated over and over in our mind is what's really going to bring us through victory really going to bring us through the circumstances of our life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, 
I say rejoice. Paul is saying, I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to talk to you about it. Because as we go through life, joy, rejoicing, choosing joy is so important. Amen. We talk a lot about the weapons of our warfare and, and, and they are mighty through God. They are powerful. And I'm just gonna tell you that I believe that joy is one of the most powerful weapons that we can have in any battle that we go through. I mean, wasn't it Nehemiah when the children of Israel were despondent and down because they had uh, seen and realized how much they had failed the Lord? Isn't it Nehemiah that said, hey, the joy of the Lord is my... Let's try it one more time. The joy of the Lord is my... And when he talks about strength there, he's not talking about muscular strength. The word actually means the joy of the Lord is my safety. The joy of the Lord is my protection. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is my refuge. It's a stronghold. I want you to grab a hold of that and get it in your spirit for just a moment today that when times are bad and I can live in joy, it's like I have a shield in front of me. I have a refuge that I can go into. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Hallelujah. Is anybody smiling out there yet? Because we, you know, joy, go, a smile goes with joy. You know, uh, I'll just kind of preach that last little part again. And so you can get a smile on your face. Uh, you know, we just go through these battles. And when we go through them, the joy of the Lord is my protection. It's something that shields me. It's something that protects me. It's something that brings me into a refuge. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Amen. Amen. So, uh, as always, Paul is giving the church warnings. He, he's giving them ways that they can increase their joy. But there's also, throughout the book, things that are called joy killers. Things that he talks about that if you live this type of life, it's going to destroy your walk with God. It's going to destroy your joy. And, and in the passage, and I don't have time to preach it uh, all today, verse by verse, but, but he talks about people that tried to impose such strict laws of self-righteousness. The, 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 the Jewish people that were coming in and saying, oh, if you really want to be saved, you have to become a Jew. You have to go through circumcision. You have to eat this dietary law. He, he actually calls them dogs. <laughs> he calls them mutilators because the, he's letting people know that there is nothing in the things that they are saying that is going to bring you closer to God. I mean, we talked about that in the book of Ephesians, this great revelation and mystery that God revealed is that the Gentile and the Jewish church would become one and they wouldn't become one by all becoming Jewish and they wouldn't come one, become one by all becoming Gentile. They would all become one being in Christ Jesus and in this passage of scripture, Paul points out some real dangers that we need to watch for. In verse number 18, he said, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you weeping. In other words, this is moving me. 
This, this is something that is really um, uh, impacting me. It's something that is stirring up a, a grief or a, an emotion of sadness. I'm weeping when I look at these people that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. I don't know about you, but there is never been any inkling in my mind that I wanted to be an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the cross. Anybody here thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? I don't want to be an enemy of it. But I think that some of the things that Paul points out here, while we may think that they're small and insignificant, what he's really showing us is that it's very easy to move into a, a, a mindset or a way of thinking that actually causes us to become enemies of the cross. L listen to what he says in verse number 19. And, and if we have that mindset and if we're enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, that's not the end that I want. I don't, I want the end of what this chapter says about us being with Christ. I, I don't want destruction. And this is the, the situation with them. Whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. There's three things there and I'm just going to go through them real quickly. Number one, an enemy of the cross. Now, an enemy of the cross is someone who doesn't really understand the power of the cross. It doesn't understand someone who knows the benefits of the cross. And in this context here, you need to understand that Paul is talking about his own self-righteousness, his own resume of how righteous he was, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and concerning the law of Pharisee. Blameless, he said, when it came to it. He was someone that really gave everything that he could to obey every little piece of the law. And, and, and yet, what he's saying here is that that didn't benefit him one thing. One of the passages of scriptures, he said, I count it all lost. It's, it's not worth anything. And, and it's so easy for us to not understand the benefit of the cross and start thinking that we have to work for our salvation and that we have to do something. This is why the cross is offensive to so many people is because when they get there, they think I've got to add what I can do to what Christ has already done. I've got to be circumcised. I've got to keep the Sabbath. I've got to, I've got to go through the dietary law. And Paul's coming back and pushing hard against that. He's saying, if that's how you're going to live your life, you're going to become an enemy of the cross. That's pretty strong words in it, is, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? And you know why it's strong? It's because Paul wants us to understand that the cross is sufficient. The blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient. Jesus never said what I do and what you do together is going to bring you salvation. He's the one that came to be the savior of the world. And I, I just tell you that nothing will steal your joy faster than the spirit of religion where you get into that mindset of, look how righteous I am. 
and look at how good I am and look at all the laws that I am obeying and look at all the laws that I am fulfilling and look at all the rules that I am maintaining. And and you know what? That is just a horrible place to be in because it puts you in a place where you are self-righteous and you are judgmental and you are not depending on the cross of Jesus Christ. You become an enemy of the cross. Hey, when Jesus was walking the earth, did he talk about the humor of the Pharisees? Oh man, those guys cracked me up. (laughs) Oh, look at them and how full of joy they are. Look at them, how they're just bringing so much life to our nation. No, that's not what Jesus said about these people that were so adamant to maintain every little law. This is what Jesus said about them. They're they're dead men walking around. They're they're clean on the outside, but the inside is full of dead man bones, like a whited sepulcher. You know, a a cemetery, you go by some cemeteries and and, and the graves are above ground or they're in boxes. And that's very common in the Philippines. And they they paint them white. They, They keep them painted nice. And when you go past them, you think, man, that looks nice. But you know what's inside? Dead man bones. That's what Jesus talked about, the life of these People that were depending on themselves and not depending on the cross. Listen, I don't want to be an enemy of the cross. And if I ever get to the place where I'm depending on myself, I am an enemy of what God has been trying to do in my life. I depend on Jesus. Everybody say, I depend on Jesus. The second joy killer that he talked about here, he talked about people that were, um, whose God was their belly. In other words, they're just addicted to pleasure. That was his way of saying, if you're just addicted to fulfilling your desires. And, and we live in a world that says over and over and over to us in so many different arenas, in so many different areas, if it feels good, do it. If, if that's the way you want to live, do it. You, you're, you're, you're able to just make your own set of rules and life up, not according to what the Lord wants your life to be. And, and, and when we talk about addicted to pleasure, I, I, I don't want to let my desires be my God. I, I don't want to let my desires be the one that rules in my life. I don't want to get up every morning and live my life according to what my desire is that day. I want to live my life according to what God wants for my life and according to the purpose that he has in my life. And the the enemy wants to control me. The desires want to control me, and they do that when I let them tell me what to do. The third, and I'll quickly go on, the third joy killer here, because I want to get to joy builders quickly. The third joy killer is just to be earthly minded. Just, just to think about uh, the earth all the time and, and what's gonna happen in this world. Let, let me just repeat what the scripture says. Our citizenship is in heaven. Everybody say our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and Paul is really summarizing the root problem of, of these people that are enemies of the cross, explaining that their minds are not fully set on the things that are of eternity. their minds aren't fully set on the things that God has for them. But instead, their life is fully oriented around the things on the earth just to fulfill their desires, their self-focus rather than savior focus. 
That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm renewing my mind that I may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul also said in the book of Romans chapter eight and six, for to be carnally minded is death. If I'm going to be earthly minded, that's carnally minded. And what I'm doing is I'm walking down a path of death. I don't want to do that. He goes on to say the second part of that scripture, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Paul is explaining why we need to be alert to those who are enemies of the cross, how we don't want to become an enemy of the cross, how their focus is on earth, but how our focus should be on heaven. That will bring joy to your life. That's a way to build joy in your life. Is that every day when you get up to be eternally minded. I know that maybe the circumstances today aren't exactly like I want them, but I'm on a journey. And at the end of my journey, I'll be with Jesus forevermore. I'll be in a place where there is no pain where there is no suffering, where there is no sadness or sorrow, where there are no tears, that's how I build my joy. That's how I rejoice in the Lord is daily. I have this in my mind. This is the journey that I'm on. That Paul says it there in Philippians chapter three and 20. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await. Just turn to your neighbor and say, eagerly await. I'm going to give you another chance because some of y'all didn't turn. Now, I'm not taking names yet, but turn to your neighbor and just say, eagerly await. You see, there's something that is powerful about having that mindset. I am eagerly awaiting the Savior. That's the end of the passage. Eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That, that should be our focus. And if that's our focus, think about how much joy that brings. That I'm eagerly awaiting the moment when I'll see him face to face. Hallelujah. The moment that I will see him and be changed. That's the mindset of someone that has a heart of rejoicing and a spirit of rejoicing that knows that one day our Lord is coming back and I eagerly await that moment. Amen. So let's talk about three things real quick here about how we can keep our joy and build our joy. Number one, we have to see God's redemption for our yesterday. Say for our yesterday. Can we have just a moment of honesty in this room? I'll be honest. Will you be honest with me? Now, now it's easy to say who's done bad things or had faults or failures, and, and it's easy for all of us to raise our hand, but let's just call it what it really is. How many of you have evil in your past? Of course. We have evil in our past. We have things that we're not proud of. We have things that we've done that if we could do it over, we would go back and we would erase that from a history. But they're there. 
And, and a lot of times what happens is those things take a hold of our mind and paralyze us so that we don't have the joy of the Lord, so that we don't have the victory that we need to have in our life. And, and Paul talks about it here in Philippians chapter three. We're gonna jump now up to the seventh verse. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Now he's specifically talking here about his righteous resume that he built as a Pharisee. He just got through talking about all of those things that he was, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, all those kind of things. I, I've counted them lost. Well, Paul, how can you count them lost? How, 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 how can you count them as a nothing? Because he's come to the revelation that none of it matters when it comes to salvation. None of it matters when it comes to his relationship with the Lord. Yet indeed, verse 8, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. I count them as trash. They don't matter to me anymore. That I may gain Christ. Would you just read those last five words with me? That I may gain Christ. Read it with me again. That I may gain Christ. I'm putting those things behind me. This is what Paul is saying. Hey guys, I've got a past. <laughs> I've got a past. I've got things behind me. I've got things that, that were there. And, 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 and I saw um, in all of my acts of righteousness or self-righteousness that they were nothing on which I could depend on. That they were nothing. And that Christ crucified alone is what is going to profit me. Christ crucified alone is what is going to be the, the means of my salvation. For, for I've come to understand that, that it is impossible by the blood of bulls and the blood of goats to, to take away sin. It's only done through Jesus Christ. And, and isn't it beautiful that, that he has taken our resume and he's covered that, that uh, list of offenses that are in our life by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. So Paul is saying, Here, here's what I'm doing with my resume. I'm taking my resume and I'm leaving it at the cross and I'm taking from the cross the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, now let's be honest. This is where a lot of people find offense at the cross. Now, I know that there's people that are on the, uh, the far uh, um, edges of religion that are offended at the cross just because they don't believe in God. They don't believe in Jesus Christ. And if you hear them talk, you'll find how, how little regard they hold for that. But you know what? There is a whole list of people that are good people, but they're, they, 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 and they love Jesus and they love the teachings of Jesus, but they don't love the cross. They don't love the cross because they don't want to be put in the place where they're being told what you're doing is good is not good enough. They, they want to have their own righteousness. 
A lot of the offense at the cross is not because people are far away from God. It's because people are trying to walk with God and they don't like the fact that their righteousness means nothing. That it's only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that really counts. I'm I'm preaching here today and I'm trying to get you to get a hold of something that will build the joy in your life and that is understanding the incredible benefit of the cross of Jesus Christ. When I walk in this world, it is as if my past is behind. It's not there. It's, It's something that has been erased. And Paul's saying, I left my resume at the cross. I, I, I don't talk about how I'm a Pharisee anymore. I don't talk about how I know the law and, and could quote the first five books of the Bible. I, I want to be recognized for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not my own righteousness. <laughs> he said, count it as loss. What, what do you mean count it as loss? I, I want you to understand that it's not an advantage to me. It wasn't an advantage that I was a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, it was a disadvantage to me. It blinded me to Jesus Christ. It was only through the mercy of Jesus Christ that he stopped me on the road to Damascus and changed my life. It was a disadvantage of me that I was so zealous for the law that I was willing to put Christians to death. That wasn't a benefit for me. That was a disadvantage for me. And, and this, is my, this is my part of this message that I want you to grab a hold of. Even though he was a Pharisee, even though he was someone that caused the murders of Christians, even though he was someone that, that was, was full of, of religious laws and the spirit of religion to the place where he was a, approving of the death of people, God redeemed his past. You look at the words that Paul has written here in this incredible letter and all of the 13 letters that he penned to the church, you look at them and you see the wisdom that is there. You see the understanding that is there and it's there because God redeemed his past. And I want to tell somebody in this room today, it doesn't matter what you have done in your past and I know some of you, that offends you also. Are you telling me, pastor, that someone that has done these horrible things could be in the same standing as me who's lived this holy life before God? Yes. 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 Because none of us have righteousness that to amount to anything. Let let me put it this way. If we had the person in this room that was the highest jumper in the world, I I don't know who that is right now, but there's a a lot of videos out there of guys that jump slapping the top of the backboard and, and they can really jump. And then you got the guy that was here that was the lowest jumper could, uh, could that, that was his jump. And you told both of them, I want you to touch the moon. Huh. Not, not this ceiling. That, that, that doesn't really fit with the scope of the grace of Jesus Christ. Touch the moon. Well, one guy may be able to get three or four feet off the ground, and one guy may be able only to get an eighth of an inch off the ground, but are either one of them close to touching the moon? 
That's what righteousness does. It convinces us that we're good when we're really still thousands and thousands of miles away from the target. And it's only through Jesus Christ. He wants to redeem your past. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you said. I don't care what's gone on in your life. I don't care. I don't want you to feel uh, condemned about it. I don't want you to feel beat up about it. I don't want you to torment yourself about it. Look at Paul. Surely there were times when he was preaching or traveling and he looked through the crowd and he had to see people that they had kinfolk or loved ones or people that he ca they cared about that Paul was responsible for putting to death. Let that sink in for just a moment. Think about how it would be if you were preaching and you caught the eyes of a mother and you remembered when her son was stoned to death and you stood by in approval. He says, no matter what has happened, I put it all behind. I, I, I put it behind me because I know that he wants to redeem my past. Those things which are gained to me, those things which I have now counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Let's read on in verse number nine and be found in him. This is what Paul's desire is and be found in him, not having for all of you who have been doubting what I've been preaching to this point. <laughs> it's fixing to come home to you. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is in faith, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That, that's the righteousness I want. Uh, all the other stuff I put behind me, it doesn't really matter anymore. I, I count it all as lost. This is what I want. I, I, I want that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ that I may know him. Paul, what, what are you talking about? You're the premier evangelist, disciple, apostle in the world the moment that you're writing this word. No, no, you don't understand. That I may know him. There's more. I've got to dig deeper in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I may know him. Would you just say that with me? That I may know him. That, that's the heartbeat of a godly person. That, that's the heartbeat. It's not, it's not the cares of this world. It's not, the, the, not, not that our, 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 we're, we're governed or, or ruled by our own desires. It's that I may know him. I, I just ask you this morning, will you let your hearts be captivated by the one who loves you so much that he died for you? Will you let your hearts be captivated by the one who loved you so much that he reached down in the deep miry clay and brought you out, cleaned you up, set your feet on the rock to stay? Is anybody thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ? 
He wants to redeem your past. Everybody say, redeem my past. He, second of all, he wants us to see his purpose for my today. Everybody say, my today. God has something for you today. Listen, we read on in verse number 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. This is a beautiful passage of scripture where Paul is talking about how God grabbed him, grasped him, held him. The, the word there is, is, is very much possessive. It's grabbing a hold, m- much like you would go after if you were tackling somebody on a football field. You grab them to, to bring them into submission. That's what Paul is saying here. Jesus has grabbed me and brought me into submission, into his arms. And, and this is what he says. I want to lay hold on his purpose just as much as he's laid hold on me. As much as he's grabbed a hold. You know, I'm just preaching this. I'm thinking, this, this is really good. I, I don't know if you're taking notes. I, I, you know, I don't know. This is really, I mean, I've been sick with COVID. I'm pretty proud of myself for what I'm bringing here today. I, I, I know it's Father's Day and you've got the grill all fired up at home and you know, that's what Father's Day is. Mother's Day is what restaurant are we going to? And, and Father's Day is, Dad, what you grilling today? I don't, I'm not understanding all that, but that's the way it is. This is just really some good stuff. I, I want to I wanna lay hold of it. I, I want to find my purpose for today. I, and, and, and I love how Paul starts that verse. He starts it, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And, and I'll just say this. At this point in his ministry, and at this level of his ministry, and at, this, at, the, at, at the place that he holds, uh, the place of reverence that the churches look to him, if he's not attained yet, then, then I've got news for you. None of us have either. And this is what I say to anyone who starts acting like they have attained or that they're perfect. That's the person I want to be away from. I don't want to have anything to do with them. I don't want them to talk to me, tell me, teach me. I don't really have anything to learn from them if they've already think that they're at the place of perfection. Because this is where spiritual growth really begins. It really begins when I'm at the place where I realize I've got a long way to go. That's just another nugget, my goodness. Let's get the ushers up here. We need to take another offering. I, I, I think that the place where I really grow is when I realize how far I have to go. And my heart should be constantly saying, I want to reach him. I want to press on. I want to grab a hold of that. I, I, I want to lay hold on that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold on me. Unlike so many contemporary leaders, think past over the last 15, 20 years, how many politicians we've had that stand before us that that have no fault. There is a word for that. And it's not appropriate for church. I'm not even going to think it. Get out of my mind right now. Paul is admitting his own personal shortcomings. 
He isn't perfect yet, and he knows he's not perfect yet. And, and this is when we need to, to what, th- this is what we realize when we admit our imperfections. What we're saying is, I need God. Anybody in the room need God? I, I, I'm, I'm admitting that I need God. This is where I start growing. This is where God teaches me. He says, I press on. It's difficult to go forward when you keep looking backwards. (laughs) That's true physically, right? Have you ever tried to walk forward while you're looking backwards? I saw something the other day and I wasn't planning on talking about it, but it was pretty funny. And, And it was a hundred yard dash and every contestant was blindfolded. Now they were lined up and these guys were track runners. They had run track for you know, years. They knew how to get down in the starting box, block and they knew how to take off. But, but you know, just that blindfold made a lot of difference on their direction. And, and, and it showed the race and, and in a few minutes, one of them runs into the stand. One of them runs over a camera person. I don't know that any one of them stayed on the track and finished the course. It's hard to look forward while you're always looking backwards. <clears throat> Is Mike Matney in the room? He, he's here somewhere. Years ago, Mike had a car and uh, it, was a, um, it was a car his dad had. His dad was a used car salesman. That's a whole nother story. We won't get into that today. And, and Mike was over in Pasadena and, and drive went out. The only thing that would work would reverse. And so Mike was driving down Spencer Road in reverse, turned around, driving, trying to get home. And of course, he was stopped and he had some good excuses like I've had before. And some reason, the police officer didn't listen to any of his excuses and he got a ticket. It's hard going forward when you're looking back. It's hard. And, and Paul's, he's, he's someone that had incredible zeal. He had, he had drive, but, but now it's harnessed by the spirit. Now, now the spirit is in control and the spirit is taking hold of him. He, he says, I want to walk with God. I, I, I want just to say something here about this walking and trying to look backwards or running a race blindfolded or the direction is important. If that's for me, tell them I'll call them in a minute. (laughs) Direction is important. Will you just tell somebody direction is important? If I'm going to live for God, okay, I'm stopping because some of you didn't tell your neighbors and I'm going to get my pen out here. Tell your neighbors direction is important. As a matter of fact, direction makes all the difference. True believers, we're not in heaven yet, right? but we want to go there. And I have to make sure that my steps are aimed in that direction. I have to lay hold of it. I have to seize it. This is what Paul wants. Paul wants us to fulfill God's given purpose. He wants us to find our purpose. And what a treasure it is to find our purpose. And I just take a minute here. God gave every one of us purpose. 
Now, it may not be on the scale that we want it to be, and I think a lot of people, they never fulfill the purpose that God has for them because they're looking for something bigger when God is saying, if you'll be faithful in the purpose that I've given you, you may get something bigger, but you're sure not gonna get anything bigger until you fulfill just what I've called you to do. I'm thankful for the mundane things that God has put in my life. I'm thankful that on this Father's Day, I can say, I've done my very best to be a good father. I'm thankful that on this day, I can say, I'm very thankful that I've done my best just to do the little things that God has put in my life. And, And that's something that we don't see a lot in the scripture. We see the big names, we see the big miracles, we see the big heroes, but the the truth is that below that and the story of God is really about the thousands and thousands and millions of people that just walk with him on a daily basis and became the saints and the church, like being a father, what, what, a, what a great purpose that is. Fathers, one more time, will you just hold your hand up? What, what a great purpose we have to just to be a father. I, I mean, from, from Barack Obama to, to all kind of sociologists to, to Denzel Washington to uh, uh, so many have talked about the dangers that our society is facing today because there's a lack of fathers. Hey, hey, fathers, that's a great purpose. Let's just be fathers. Let's, let's, just, let's just never give up. Let's just stand at the gate. Let's just watch and pray. Let's just believe. And maybe some of you here today, you've been a good father, but your child has wandered away. That doesn't mean you give up being a good father. You just continue. I am thankful. Oh, man, I am thankful that there was a father who stood at the gate and watched for me to come back home. I'm thankful that there was a father who didn't give up on me when I, and and I'm not talking about my personal father. My personal father was amazing, best dad you could ever have. But I'm talking about my heavenly father who I need to emulate, who I need to be just like. I I need to be patient and wait. Okay. I'm starting to feel that you're almost through, and so I better wrap it up too. Uh, Verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward calling of Jesus Christ. Intense focus on on what God has made me for. I'm pressing. I'm going to find it. I I, I don't want to waste my life doing anything else. The best life that I can ever live is the life that he's created me to live. So I'm going to press forward. I'm going to have that laser focus on what God wants for my life. And this is simply how you can find your purpose. First of all, just be aware if there's discontent in your life. Just be aware of it. And I'm not talking about discontent where you want to run off and, and do crazy things. I'm just talking about a stirring in the spirit. You know, sometimes when we're quiet and we pray, we can sense that God has more for us than what we're doing. Am I right or am I right? I didn't give you an option there. This is, you know, call and response preaching, but it's, the response is only one way. If you, if you disagree... See me after church. Now I'm leaving, but you can see me if you want to. So just recognize discontentment. God, I know you got something for me. 
I know there's something more to my life. I know there's something you want to do. And then make a decision that I am going to live my life finding that purpose and then go for that purpose with all of your heart. Make an investment in that purpose. Give yourself to it. Last point, see God's plan for my tomorrow. Verse 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I've read that one. This is the one that I haven't read to you yet this morning. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Oh my goodness, what a day that will be in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment when we shall see him, we'll be changed according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This is God's plan, is for us to make it to heaven. I want to close by telling you a story. When I was about eight years old, my, um, my sister Jan had started going to Texas Bible College. My sister Jean was still in high school. We lived over off of Mercury Drive, over off of I-10. And because Jan was going to TBC, there was, of course, a lot of young men and young women that didn't have a home in the area. And, and our house became uh, like an open home for so many, so many and they were in and out of our house over and over again. Night after night, we would uh, be with them and laugh and fun. And it was just an amazing time. And, and there was one young man that I really just, I got to admire him so much. His name was Mike Seckerly. Mike was just one of those joyful guys and just made you feel good when you were in the room with him. Laugh and and uh, I, I just, I loved Mike. He, he, he wasn't the biggest, he wasn't the strongest, he wasn't the funniest, but he became my favorite. All the guys that came through, he was just someone my heart attached to and couldn't wait to see him, couldn't wait for him to be around us. And, and um, uh, there was a spring break and they went home and, and Mike was from Illinois. And at uh, 20 years old, on his spring break, he went out and he went swimming in one of the rivers. I don't remember which one, but um, he was with his uh, brother-in-law, the, the guy that was married to his sister. And, and the story is, is that when they were swimming, the brother-in-law got up and, and he looked around for Mike and Mike was caught in a current. And Mike couldn't get out of the current. And, and, and he talked about how the last thing he saw of Mike was him reaching his hand and, and he went under. Well, I, of course, at eight, you know, you, you're, you're not told those kind of things. And, and I remember walking in and mom and dad were so distraught and talking. And I said, what, what happened? And I heard, I heard Mike, what, what happened? What happened? And they didn't want to tell me, but uh, they, they finally, they told me the story and and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, uh, I, I've had, like everybody else in this room, I've had untimely deaths that have happened in my life to my friends, to my family. I mean, I had a cousin at 18 years old that was killed on a motorcycle. And, and you know, that, that sometimes is so puzzling, isn't it? 
Why? Why? Can you just say why? Anybody ever said that? You know, I, I can remember saying that. But, but this is what I've grown to understand, not only for Mike Seckerly and not only for my cousin Jimbo Shoemake and not only for my brother-in-law Daniel Calk and many others. My mother, she, she was too young, 10 years older than I am. How, how is that possible? Here's what I've come to understand. Our life here seems to be so important, but it's really only importance is to get me to that next life. That, that, I, I want to just run my race. And, and, and I'm still talking about Mike Sackerly today, and that's been 52 years ago. He's made an impact on my life. And I don't know what God had planned for him, but I know that he run. He ran the race that God had for him. And, and, and just this morning on Father's Day, I was thinking about my brother-in-law, Daniel, at 42 years old, eating up with bone cancer, just days from dying, just about 120 days from dying. The last sermon he preached on Sunday morning, I, I know that some of you are in here that were here for that sermon. And, and the incredible way that he talked about the love and the grace of God and, and while I've gone through many times where I've not understood why he left us so quickly, I know that God knows. And I know that he's run his race and that he's won the crown. And while we look at, look at it from this side through a glass darkly or through a curtain that we can't really understand, on that side is where I want to be. I, I want to be in that last scripture where it will transform our lowly body that we may be conformed to his glorious body. I, I, I want that. That's what I want. And so as you stand with me today and, and as the prayer team comes up here, here here's the mindset. I, 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 want, I want you to catch this. I, I've gone too long. Don't sue me. I've had a lot to say today. But no matter how evil, bad, full of failings my past is, God wants to redeem it. Where I'm at right now, on this day as I stand here, God has a purpose that He wants me to fulfill. So fulfilling that purpose today may be as simple as going home and being a good husband, being a good father, putting together another Bible study, going into my work tomorrow, or if you're off on Tuesday, going into work and being a Christian. I just, God, I want to just fulfill what you, I, I want to attain, grab a hold of what you have grabbed a hold of me for. And then last of all, my joy is I see God in my past. <laughs> covering my sins, covering my failures, helping me through the problems. I see him in my present, leading me, guiding me, and directing me. And I see joy because I know that he has the tomorrow. And then I know one day I'll be in heaven with him. Is anybody thankful for that today?
Anybody thankful? As our prayer team is here, thank you guys so much for coming up and helping us today. Um, I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to slip out. I'm still not really ready to shake hands and hug you. I want to, but I'm going to wait. I'm going to turn it to Andrew and Andrew will bring you to the front and close it out. But I want to pray for you and I want to tell you how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. I, I was standing in the back when Andrew was talking about Father's Day and said those sweet things about me. I appreciate that. I heard some of you clap. I, don't, I, I wasn't looking, so if you didn't clap, you're not in trouble. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for what God's doing in our church and I'm thankful for what God's going to do. I want us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I want us to trust in Jesus Christ every step of the way. I want us to know that he's the one that has it all in his hands. I want that joy to be something that comes from the spirit inside of us that said, God's got it and he only wants good for me. Lord, thank you so much for today. Thank you, dear Lord, for your word. Your word is so rich, so full. Oh God, we're so thankful for it, dear Lord. And I just pray right now, dear Lord, that everyone that is in this room, that they would have that spirit of joy, that they would choose joy, Lord, that they would just say, I'm going to live in the joy that you have for me, oh God. I'm going to walk the way that you want me to walk. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to find my purpose. I'm going to forget those things which are behind my own righteousness and my own failings. None of that matters. I live because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Lord, whenever that day comes, if it is you coming back or if it's going, if it's us going one by one through the ages, through the hand of death, oh, what a great day it's going to be when I see you face to face. And let us live in that joy, Lord. Let us live in that comfort that no matter what happens, the end of the story has already been written. You have already won the battles, oh God. And you are the one that loves us so much. Will you just lift your hands and let's love the Lord together.